Um, it is also today the autumnal equinox. Hell yeah. And in Toronto tonight, it is Nuit Blanche. Yeah. Which is a night where there's a bunch of free art displays throughout the city. Oh, that's cool. So I will be bringing my camera and going out with um, Emma's very longtime friend, Van, and their partner, Nico. Hell yeah. And we're going to go see something. It'll be weird no matter what, because that's kind of the point of Nuit Blanche. Okay, that sounds fun. Um, There's one exhibit called Sonic Bikes where a really dinky-looking mechanic-slash-artist has converted a bunch of bicycles that would have been otherwise thrown out into musical instruments. I was really hoping that was going to be a Sonic the Hedgehog thing. <laughs> there is Just... a blue tarp, but okay, okay. alas, not Sonic the Hedgehog. It's not someone in a Sonic the Hedgehog costume riding in circles on a bike really fast. Um, see, like, here's the thing. The exhibits that happen in Nuit Blanche are by, like, art people, Mm. you know? And, like... Yeah, that makes sense. As much as we are artists, uh, some of us might describe ourselves as fartists more than artists, (laughs) but as much as we are artists... We're also a very specific subset of nerd culture art. Mm, Yeah, that's true. We're not like fine arts. No, I certainly didn't go to art school. I, I, nor did I, but I kind of regret not having done something with art in college just to explore being pretentious a little bit. Because nowadays, I... if you like, <clears throat> if you're on tranny Twitter, or in this case, I guess, um, blue sky these days, you know, like your stupid pretentious art has to at least have some reference to Evangelion in order for it to be considered true art among the trans. Okay, I didn't know this. Should I be watching that? Uh, you just did, in fact, watch Evangelion. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Because I went through it and. I'm pretty sure Bo is Afraid is just Evangelion. Just live if action. If you take out the robots and you take out the angels. Okay. It's just Evangelion. <laughs> well, I guess Including, I don't, need, don't need to watch it. <laughs> you don't, know. Including the really fucked up orgasm that the main character has. <laughs> Sorry, Including what? the fact that it's vaguely post-apocalyptic. Okay, so in Evangelion, uh, at one point, Rei is in the hospital, uh-huh. and uh, Shinji jerks off to her unconscious body. What? Comes in his hand, and then says, I'm so fucked up. <laughs> uh, so that's basically what happened when Bo had sex with that woman, and right? And then she died? And then she died, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, that's... He probably even said those words um, afterward. So, (laughs) we should start the episode before we get too in-depth. Which also means we still need to do the time.isync because we watched the website and it didn't clap. (laughs) Oops. Okay. Hello and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kat. I'm Kira. And we watch movies with no sound and no subtitles and try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoiler, this is fundamentally a movie about the size and shape of Joaquin Phoenix's genitals.
So the movie specifically was Bo is Afraid, which is an A24 produced John. Um, Mm -hmm. And did you do any sort of album sync or anything like that? I didn't. I maybe should have um, just to like retain sanity. But alas, here we are. Um, So I don't know that sanity retention is a necessary part of this movie going experience. Yeah, that's a good Um, point. I think you do have to just be willing to go a little crazy while watching this movie. I would agree. Um, I did something that I guess one might consider a little bit weird, crazy, sort of... I I wanted to juxtapose this weird, surreal, tragic comedy horror movie. So I put on a playlist that I made of all of the violin and cello duets that are ever mentioned in the entire book series of the Master and Commander series of books. Okay. Uh, so I listened to a lot Specific. of duets for violin and cello that okay. were like Baroque or classical. That's a choice. It, how, it was, did it, how did it impact the, the viewing? It the synced up really weirdly well. That's terrifying. Because there were a lot of moments through the movie where like the serenity of the um, the music that I had going would sort of meet with those moments of the passage of time. And then at other times when the music was lively or like dramatic, it would sync up with the lively and dramatic parts of what was happening to Bo. Interesting. That's... And I think it's just pure coincidence because this playlist is arranged in no particular order. That's what this movie is about, though, is like coincidence and uh, like insanity and um i got nothing yeah so like i i guess i i would like to talk about what i think this movie is about yeah because you messaged me and i think it's better than what the movie is about well i mean it is about what the movie is actually about in a sense that's right yeah but um so before we get into this in-depth theory yeah um i do want to point out a couple of really delightful things from the stills and the prop department. Oh, like they that were, yeah. On they, point. Yes. They did some did you good shit. Notice the microwave dinner he ate. Yes. Uh, it was, what was it? It was, it went, the brand was Aloha, an oh, Irish yes. Hawaiian fusion. Yes. It's <laughs> fucking incredible. <laughs> like, uh, so. At the outset of this movie, we see a Joaquin Phoenix playing Bo, and he looks like shit. Yeah. Like, in an actorly sort of way, but he looks like shit. Yeah, it's it's a put-together intentional shit, but he looks like shit. Right, like, you know, thinning hair, and, like, just really, like, an uncomfortable lifestyle. Doesn't look like he has a very good life, just in general. Yeah. Um, he does some regression stuff in therapy, and the therapist gives him anti-anxiety meds, and he says, make sure you take this with water, I think is what I lip-read, and it says so on the prescription bottle and everything like that, must mm-hmm. take with water. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is important for later. Mm-hmm. But, like, it just, the world that he lives in he's in this city and i don't know the name of the city 
I'm sure it's meant to look like New York. Yeah. I but think it it's... also sort of looks like a Fox News style caricature of what liberal cities look like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just like an absolute post-apocalyptic wasteland. Like there's porn shops on every corner and prostitutes hanging out with cops. There's a dude who's obsessed with gouging out other people's eyes. There's a guy covered in tattoos from head to toe. There's just um, a corpse in the street that... Multiple naked men. One naked man with a knife. Who yeah. later in the movie does stab Bo multiple times. Yeah. Um... There's a, it's a whole thing. I, it's hard to explain, but like, I'm like 90% sure at the outset of this movie that he's just got a persistent case of low level carbon monoxide poisoning. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, there's a gas leak next to his bed or something like that. And if he was on Twitter, he'd tweet something about how you need to hold down my little B wing so we can repopulate the hive. (laughs) Uh,. (laughs) Um, I I think given this this sort of state of his apartment building, that seems like likely. And like the thing is, through this movie, we do come to find out that it feels like every single aspect of his life was planned by his mother. Yeah, including the squalor, including the brown recluse that were let loose in his apartment building, the food that he eats is something she designed the labels for. You know, her yeah. her company is advertising the apartment he lives in, including the sex shop underneath it. Like, it all feels very... Uh, it feels almost Truman Show-ish. God, what was the name that of it? He's... What was... It was, uh... It was, like, Erectus Ejectus. I believe it was Erectus Ejectus, but I can <laughs> good, verify good in a moment. Fun. I mean, like, some of the stuff they advertised... Yeah. Pussy change water. Knife dick, parentheses, stab other man. Pussy write letter. Pussy shoot balloon. Pussy frog whistle. Pussy birthday flower. Perfectly normal cock. Um, one of the buildings also near his house does very explicitly have the um the number 24 in neon in the a24 font oh okay so do you think this takes place in like the real world then uh no i think if anything it's a sign that maybe just maybe his his mom contracted with a24 to create this weird set upon which he lives so it's like a yeah like a truman show thing exactly oh shit the bowman show the truman bow that's way better (laughs) how did i not arrive at that Mm. His journey starts with um, something, something anxiety provoking happens. I forget exactly what. Um, And he goes to take his medication and doesn't have any water. And then the water is shut off in his building. Also, his keys and luggage got stolen. Um, Yes. His keys and luggage. So there's also a part where uh, this is where I started to feel like he's definitely got a carbon monoxide leak. Someone keeps laying notes under his door telling him to turn the music down, but he can't hear any music from what I'm given to understand. And I did cheat a little bit and listen to see if he actually had music going. He doesn't. Huh. 
Interesting, because it did... Until the wall starts palpitating. Yeah. And then he hears the music coming from next door. But the person who's putting these notes under his door thinks it's him. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the person who stole the luggage and keys. Or the luggage and keys were stolen just in general as part of the plot. Uh, The plot not being the story plot, but the generalized conspiracy against him. Yeah, um, yeah. There's as, another as... thing I noticed that uh, one of the billboards in the city he lives in says, uh, defund pigs, end corruption, share wealth, betray your mother, live forever. <laughs> so, like, that is it, such a good motto. There's, it, sure, yes. <laughs> and, like, that, that, so that's, that'll get to more of what I have to say about what I think this movie's actually about. Yeah. But, like, the whole like thing feels like it's a setup and there's a reason yeah. why this whole setup feels like it so closely mirrors the hero's journey right like it feels like the maybe better textually this movie is a commentary on joseph campbell but yeah. at the same time you can't put both through the hero's journey without these inciting incidents that all feel very coincidental. Almost as if his mother planned to send him on this hero's journey to give him a chance to prove himself. And because he is afraid of accepting who he is, because he's afraid of everything, he fails at that journey and ends up being, you know, defeated by the dragon at the end. Yeah, that's a good point. Like... It, it does have a very, like, epic, like, this is some some Odyssey shit that he goes through. Mm-hmm. That's, okay. He, the way he gets started on his journey is he gets locked out of his apartment and a bunch of people get into his apartment and have a big mm-hmm. old party. One of them dies. Um, From the brown, re- Chekhov's brown recluse shows yeah. up and kills a guy. Um... And then uh, he goes to take a bath to relax, and we get a glimpse, a quick couple frame glimpse of the uh, the old tennis balls, and <laughs> and he gets into the bath, um, and there's a dude like above, like spider climbing on the yeah, ceiling above. Yeah, him. yeah, and then he, dude gets bit by the spider, immediately dies. Um, falls down. Bo wrestles with him, with his, with him in the bath, and then runs outside naked. And then the naked man chases and stabs him. And then he ends up uh-huh. at... getting hit by a food truck. Yes. Um, and then he ends up in a bed somewhere. I yes. was not it's... exactly clear what this situation was. I thought it was like his mom's house, but it's not. No, it's a house that belongs to characters played by Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane. Yeah. Uh, Both of whom previously worked together on season one of Only Murders in the Building. Hmm. Which I think is quite delightful that they got their little uh, fucking Ari Aster reunion. (laughs) Uh, So this was uh, just worth noting. This was made by the same guy who made Midsummer. Yeah, which I haven't seen. Nor have I. But this one feels... I don't know. I, like, I think there's a lot to this one that I don't know that he intended to put in it. Yeah. And I will explain my reasoning now. Okay, go. So, 
The movie feels like it's specifically about the dire consequences of indecision and how Bo constantly cowers in fear from what life throws at him. And it's that fear that prevents him from doing anything, not just the right thing, but anything. Yeah, he's very and, like, passive in his life. Exactly. If he took a chance to like confront something or to be brave about something, maybe then he would be he wouldn't be stuck in these situations if he had taken a chance to be brave maybe at one point in this hero's journey he would have had some point of success that he could champion yeah at the end of the movie when he's in a boat on trial yeah um but yeah like he, i think like he finds out his mother is dead while he's at Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane's house. Yeah, and there's a there's a girl who lives there who is, like, constantly fucking with him. Yes, and, like, there's also the fact that Amy Ryan is passing him notes, which is what leads me to the fact this, that this is all part of some broad conspiracy to force him on this hero's journey. Yeah. And he keeps making the wrong choices out of passivity. Yeah. And she's like, stop, you're not helping your case. Be brave for once. But she can only pass that in little notes on his napkins, lest she be found out that she's aiding him. That's true. Okay, so then... uh... So the, the deeper layer to this is that this story about the hero's journey and everything like that is actually just a story about the ways in which we have to, uh, particularly like as a trans narrative. Yeah. Um, he would rather hide in his self-loathing and depression than face the fact that he's a disappointment, right? And like, there is in some respects, the choice to transition that we've all, like every trans person makes is in effect a choice to, on some level, disappoint your parents. Yeah, unless your parents are, like, super cool. Right, but, like... But I guess even at, then, you're... Even, you're even then, you've changing taken... expectations. Exactly. You, you have taken the vision of what they want for you in your life, and you've said, this vision can no longer apply. Yeah. Ain't for me. Sorry. Peace. And in effect, it's a choice between the active disappointment of choosing to say, the life that you had envisioned for me isn't going to happen, but I present you with another one, versus the passive choice, the permanent egg state that Bo exists in, where you disappoint them by never living up to what they hope for you, and never presenting them with an alternative that says, this is me, this is who I am, this is where I will be going. Yep. And it's almost a more, it's a more severe disappointment to be that passive, sort of indecisive, you know, I, like, obviously the closet is a struggle for a lot of people, and I'm not trying to paint in broad strokes people who choose not to come out as being coward, like, cowardly. Yeah, I but mean, at the same a lot time, of, a lot of mitigating circumstances. A lot of exactly, the there's a lot of mitigating circumstances. But in Bo's situation, I don't think if he had come out, it would have been a big deal. And I think, mm. <clears throat> like very specifically, I think his mother in that case would have been proud of him, or her, as it were, for choosing something for herself. 
Yeah. For taking a risk, for being brave instead of staying passive and being afraid. Like, fear of what you lose by giving up on a certain direction in life. And like, you know, I kind of understand and sympathize with Bo because before I came out, there was a whole period of fear being a very constant factor throughout every major part of my life Mm -hmm. to the Mm -hmm. detriment of a couple of relationships and stuff like that. But like, you know, in particular, it was like every major life milestone felt like a tragedy because it was going in the wrong direction. And it was fear of what was coming next that sort of keeps you trapped in a perpetual state of arrested development. Uh, And it's only once you get the courage to make the choice to say, this is what I want, that you start to move forward in a way where you don't fear what comes next. You look forward to what comes next. Yep. And Bo never gets there. And that's like the tragedy part of this tragic comedy. Yeah. Is similar to Shinji. Bo and Shinji both can never admit that being a girl would be better for them. It's all about the fact that this movie is technically Evangelion. (laughs) (laughs) I really wish I'd seen that so I could, like, contribute more to this. Uh, Because, like, I love it conceptually based on the maybe, like, three things I know about Evangelion, which is, um, there's a guy named Shinji and mm-hmm. a big weird robots, and... Yep. It, okay, it's In two this things case, that big I know weird robots about. are replaced by a big weird penis monster. Yeah. Because there's a big weird penis monster there's in this movie. There's a big weird penis monster, um, in, in the attic with Bo's possibly, like, twin brother who's been kept in the attic his entire life possibly representation of Bo's like potential uh, uh, possibly a representation of Bo's trauma yeah there's a lot of is the penis monster actually his dad or is maybe the guy chained up in the attic his dad no it's and the not... penis monster is a manifestation of Bo's id the guy chained up in his, in his attic is not his dad because we have a scene we, we get a scene where Bo is in the bath watching his mom like fight with another kid and then shove that kid up in the attic yeah, uh, sorry it, I just accidentally texted someone a string of nonsense numbers because I dropped my phone <laughs> amazing so like i don't know if that kid is like an unwanted brother or or what but i think or or okay i think the attic is largely metaphorical i don't know if the attic is actually real um and it's yeah that's the thing it is very hard to tell if anything in this movie is real yeah i think the attic is where he locks his his like fears and things he doesn't want to think about away. Bad memories and fears. Because, okay, if you notice, the penis monster Mm -hmm. has, relative to its size, extremely large balls. Yes. Um, Now, is the penis monster in this situation flaccid? That's like, I don't think so. Because it's standing okay. straight up. I think this is a, a, like, this is, this is what he's rocking. And he's, like, insecure about it. And he doesn't want to think about that. So he locks that away. And also it yeah. does stab a man through the head. It does with one of its praying mantis-like spines. Yes. Stab a man through the head. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, um, to me, the only true horror element of this movie is when Bo enters the forest. The forest is fucking weird. And the true horror is that he comes upon a group of people playing Zip Zap Zop. <laughs> and there is literally nothing more terrifying than a group of actors playing Zip Zap Zop to warm up before a production. Oh, that is horrifying. And then he has to... Truly a horror movie. He has to watch the, the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it triggers some shit in him. And then, then we get like this whole sequence of him like living out a long life and having, uh, having children, um, and then stumbling upon, and this is like, uh, play within a dream within a play, the usual trope, um, Mm-hmm. He he stumbles upon a play that his sons, his beautiful boys, are in, and he watches that and has a tearful reunion with them, and then snaps back to reality. Um, and oops, there goes gravity. It, yeah, um, almost quite literally. When uh, uh, I think that the gravity going is probably represented by the person hanging from wires playing an angel, um, and then uh, he snaps back to reality, and the psychotic military man shows up and murders everyone, um, and and that's the end of that. Um, so I have some fun and interesting things to tell you about, um, some merch you can buy. Okay. Because A24 sells, Bo is afraid, pajamas. Okay, that's... Which are the pajamas that Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane give him, monographed with his name for some reason. (laughs) Which is extraordinarily sus. Okay, who are they in relation to him? Are they the people who were driving the food truck and they felt bad that they they hit him? They must have been. They must have been. It's such a quick flash in the movie. I'd have to watch it again. Um, I think the the point where I really... Because you had told me about the, the trans allegory thing, and the point... Where that really cemented in my mind was the scene where the girl who f- who is fucking with him takes him into the shrine room for the um, military man's whatever. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan's characters have a dead son who served in the military who they like idolize and worship to a deeply unhealthy degree. Yes. And it's sort of meant to be a juxtaposition to Bo, I think. Yeah. Very specifically because he's remembered fondly for being brave and dying. Yep. Um, so Girl starts throwing pink paint all over the like photos and everything on the wall. And um, then he gets like very upset by this. And then she drinks a bunch of blue paint and dies. Yes. That is... Like, we nearly got it. He nearly got there, and then was... The the girl in him was drowned out. That's... Yeah, so that's, like, the thing. Like, is I have in my notes very specifically about that scene um, that... Well, let me find it. Um, the girl drinks paint to kill herself and frames Bo for it because she sees him as a kindred spirit, but ultimately he's too afraid to even kill himself. <clears throat> right? Like, it, yeah. it's sort of like, you know... Rather than rather than, than kill what he currently is, he kills the girl inside him. 
yeah, and you know, if he had let the girl inside of him out, then maybe he could have fixed the city by bringing the town inside him. Because I'm given to understand that that's just a quality of trans girls. why so many trans girls have IBS is because they've got a town inside them. That's maybe one of the funniest things you've ever said on this podcast. And probably like half of the people who listen to this will have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Almost assuredly that like very few people are like I don't know. I I feel like we have a lot of, we don't have a ton of cis listeners. That's true. Bridget Mania did sweep the nation pretty <clears throat> robustly. That's and true. by the nation, I do mean um, people from the country whose flag is the blue stripe, pink stripe, white stripe, pink stripe, blue stripe flag. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh. <clears throat> uh. <laughs> we have fun. <laughs> we have fun. It's okay. So the kid who was playing young Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. Is he a real person or was he like a CG boy? Okay, I had this question too because there were a couple of moments where he looked wicked uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. And I think it might have actually just been Joaquin Phoenix digitally aged down to a child. It can't be. There's. There's no way that that was Joaquin Phoenix digitally aged down to a child because we have significant, like, actual footage of child Joaquin Phoenix and that kid looks nothing like child Joaquin Phoenix. Well, I mean, that's, you know, they they ran it through some fucking bullshit AI stuff and that's what it came up with. I'm gonna send you a jump scare real quick. Okay. I'm afraid... Jesus Christ. (laughs) 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 Um, So, Katniss sent me a still from the sex scene in the movie. (laughs) Where is. Truly titanic testicles are visible. (laughs) So here's the thing. Um, I think it's because he's never come before in his entire miserable life. I don't think that's how that works. It is in anxiety movie logic. Okay. Like, when they're having sex and she's about to make him come, he's like, no, 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 please. I can't, I can't, I... I can't have an orgasm, I'll die. I think he thinks he will die if he comes. Okay. Which might be the fundamental thing that fucked him up from childhood. Mm. Was living in this constant fear that if he ever if he ever has an orgasm, he will die immediately. And then he his his one experience with someone having an orgasm, she does die immediately. Immediately. So uh, <laughs> I keep looking at it, and it's so disturbing. <laughs> it's <laughs> they're bigger than I remember. <laughs> they're really fucking huge. <laughs> <laughs> 
grapefruit size. God damn. Truly like he's packing he's packing two Satsumas down there. Those are bigger than Satsumas. That's like a full ass like navel orange. Navel orange. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Okay. (laughs) He's he's got he's He's like he's he's like he stole those off of Willem Dafoe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god. Okay, can we talk about my actual favorite part of this movie, then? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he makes mm. it to his mother's house. I believe he finds out that she was decapitated. Yeah, like a chandelier fell on her. Um, which is alarming. Yes. Um, he finally makes it to his mother's after the funeral is over. So it's taken him more than a week, because... <clears throat> so, yo, you generally sit Shiva for a week. Yeah. Um, and he gets there as they're packing up, and the caterer for this event was Shiva Steve's Grub for the Grieved. Yes. And I loved that I've so much. Never enjoyed a joke more. <laughs> it was extremely good. And also, we find out that there's an open casket funeral for the woman who's been beheaded. <laughs> yeah. She's just there without her head. Um, Presumably, so, I guess, like, her head was just irreparably destroyed by this sh- chandelier. Like, not just, like, removed, but, like, obliterated. Otherwise, like, they could have put that back together. Yeah, I, so, um, it's, I think it's intentional that she's not got her head. Uh, because, so, in his mother's house, there are images of him through the timeline of his life. Yes. Including, and this is where we find out that she was the one who designed and advertised the slum building he was living in, right? Yeah. She was the one with the packages of the food that he eats. She's got pictures of him from earlier in the movie. Yeah, like security footage from, from his apartment. From inside his yeah. apartment. Yep. So, like, this is where we start to see this unraveling, where we see that maybe he has not been living a life of freedom, but has been constrained by this guiding force of his mother's air quotes, love, of trying to get love back from him. Yeah, she's, it's, she, she's controlling every aspect of his life, and it has ruined him as a person. Exactly. And, like, it's at this point that I started to suspect that maybe his mother wasn't actually dead. Mm-hmm. And that the woman in the casket was some someone else. Which is confirmed shortly after he has sex and the woman he has sex with dies. Yeah. Mid-coitus. Yeah. His mom shows up. His mom shows up, disgusted with him. Mm-hmm. Throws his clothes at him. And he's, like, sitting on the stairs crying about who was the woman in the casket. And it was like... And then we get a flashback to the housekeeper who has the same birthmark on her hand that the woman in the casket did. Oh, shit. I, I missed that one. Yeah, so it's possible that the mother just had her housekeeper killed and passed it off as her. Uh, that seems likely. I'm sure there was... And, like, specifically it, it, for the intent was... of fucking with her son. 
Yeah, especially because it seems like the housekeeper genuinely cared about Bo and, like, tried to make him happy. Yeah, and she can't have that. She can't. Whereas... He's not allowed to have anyone else in his life. Exactly. It seems like his mother didn't try to make him happy, but tried to make him perfect. Yeah, she she tried to make him her little boy, her beautiful boy. Yeah, but, like, I think it's that sort of... It's like a very weird sort of fucked up emphasis on showing love and reciprocating love. Yeah. Like, there's a very particular kind of parent where they view everything that they do as an expression of love. And if it is not returned exactly in the same way, they start to resent their children Mm -hmm. for not loving them, even though... It's just necessarily because of the difference in relationship, a different kind of love. Yeah. Mm. If your kids loved you the way that they love their kids, that would be kind of fucked. Yeah. Yeah, it's not supposed to be that. You know, there's an episode of Supernatural where... Of course there's an episode of Supernatural. There's, yes, there's there is, but, so many of them. Um, It's the one where Bobby is technically dead and they go into his memories to help him not be a ghost anymore and get to heaven. Okay. And he confronts his abusive father and says something to the effect of, kids aren't supposed to be grateful, they're supposed to break your heart. Yeah. And, like, I think that's the lesson that this particular mother, uh, played by, as an ad- as an older woman, Patty Lupone, delightful to see that. <laughs> I mean, like, this movie has so many delightful actors in it. Like, yeah. Richard Kind plays the prosecutor in the final scene. I was wondering who that was. He looked so familiar. He's he's good in like literally everything he's ever in. Um, I mean, like Nathan Lane, obviously delightful. Amy Ryan, phenomenal. Like, there's just like there's a lot of guys and a lot of like it's like oh that guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of that. Uh, so, yeah, this movie, deeply strange. Very, very weird. Um, three um, hours long. Cannot yes, be emphasized which is why enough. <laughs> yes. How much? Oh, my God. It's $80 for the pajamas. What the fuck? They're not even, like, fancy. They're just plain. Is there any other merch for this movie? I don't I'll, I'll check. We'll, we'll check later. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm on the page now. Bo is Afraid is a 2023 American surrealist tragedy black comedy horror film written, directed, and co-produced by Ari Aster. The film stars Joaquin Phoenix as the titular character, Bo Wasserman, and includes a supporting ensemble cast consisting of Patti LuPone, Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan, Kylie Rogers, Parker Posey, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Haley Squires, Michael Gandolfini... Zoe Lister-Jones. Um, the kid, the child actor is named Armin, and the a real Israeli last name, um, Nahapitian. Okay. And Richard <clears throat> Kind. So not, maybe that's just the name mm. that the AI de-aging software came up with. <laughs> I don't or... think so. I think he's a real guy. Yeah, probably. Um, okay. Um, the, it's plot follows the mild-mannered but paranoid Bo as he embarks on a surreal odyssey to get home to attend his mother's funeral, realizing his greatest fears along the way. Bo Wasserman is the son of a famous and wealthy businesswoman, Mona Wasserman, 
who is responsible for building a large conglomerate empire. He grows up without a father. His mother says, died the night Bo was conceived due to a heart murmur caused by an orgasm. Okay, so this is where that came from. Okay. Mm-hmm. As a teenager on a cruise ship with his mother, Bo meets and falls in love with a girl named Elaine. The two kiss and promise to remain virgins until they meet again as adults. As an adult, Bo is extremely anxious and living alone in a crime-ridden city. He prepares for a flight to see his mother on the anniversary of his father's death, a.k.a. the anniversary of when his dad cummed in his mom. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But misses his plane after his keys and luggage are stolen from his door. Bo calls his mother to explain the situation, but she dismisses him. After having been locked out by deranged homeless people for the night, he attempts to call his mother, only to have it answered by a UPS driver who tells him that she was decapitated in an accident after a chandelier fell on her head. After violent after violent confrontations with an intruder at home, then by a police officer and a murderer on the street, Bo is hit by a food truck. Bo wakes up wounded two days later in the house of a married couple, Grace and Roger, who live with their angsty teenage daughter, Tony, and care for an unstable veteran named Jeeves, who was their late son's battle buddy after he was killed in action. Battle buddy is a title. It's a very specific, um, it's a very specific U.S. Army thing. It sounds like something you would get from, like, an 80s cartoon that was made to sell action figures. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, battle buddy, battle buddy. Um, Bo calls Mona's attorney, Dr. Cohen, who chastises him and informs Bo that despite the Jewish custom to lay the body to rest as soon as possible, her last wish was to not be buried until he was present. Roger promises to take Bo to his mother's estate as soon as possible, but insists Bo rest until he's healed. On the day of Bo's release, Tony attempts to force him to drink a can of paint before doing so herself, committing suicide. Grace walks in on Bo, standing over Tony's body, and violently blames him for her death. As Bo flees into the woods, Grace sends Jeeves after him. Lost in the wilderness, Bo comes upon a group of traveling theater actors named the Orphans of the Forest. He's invited to their rehearsal and becomes entranced by the play, imagining himself as the protagonist who spends his entire life looking for his family after they're separated by a flood. A man approaches Bo and informs him that he knew his father, who he says is still alive. The troop is ambushed by Jeeves, where he slaughters several actors in the process. Bo flees deeper into the woods. Bo hitchhikes the rest of the way to his mother's estate, only to find that he has just missed her funeral. Bo is awakened from a nap when a woman arrives late for the service and realizes that it's Elaine. They reconnect before having sex. Bo is terrified that he's going to die upon climaxing, but is relieved when he survived. Elaine, however, dies mid-orgasm, her body frozen stiff. Mona then appears from the shadows and reveals that she has been alive and spying on him all along his journey. She guilt trips Bo for supposedly not loving her enough, and he demands to know the truth about his father. Mona takes him to the attic where Bo learns that he not only has a twin brother, but that his father is actually a giant penis-shaped monster. What? At that... Did you not grok that his dad was the penis monster? No. Oh, yeah, his dad's the penis monster. What the fuck? Okay. At that moment, Jeeves breaks into the house and is killed by the monster. After further degrading from his mother, an enraged Bo briefly attempts to strangle her before she collapses. In shock, Bo leaves the estate on a motorboat. After entering a cave, the boat's motor begins to stall, and he suddenly finds himself in a crowded arena. He's put on trial for perceived slights against his mother, 
with Mona and Dr. Cohen acting as prosecutors and a cheap lawyer defending Bo. Um, with his feet glued to the boat, Bo tries to fend for himself and appeal to his mother, but she does not respond. Realizing he's completely hopeless in his situation, he decides to finally accept his fate. The motor explodes, capsizing the boat and drowning Bo. Crowd silently leaves the arena with Dr. Cohen and Mona, who sobs uncontrollably as the credits roll. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What a fun little movie. What a, what a ride. That was three hours of my life. Actually less, because I watched it faster than normal. Yeah. Oh, he is real. Like, the, the kid is real. What? H- how? He's got an Instagram and everything. Does he look the same? Yeah. What the fuck? This is more shocking than the penis monster dad. Um, Daddy dick. Specifically his We're bio gonna... says, actor, I'm not AI. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> yes. Holy shit! This... This movie was... This this child was specifically created to torment me. And, I mean, like, this picture has him um, in a photo with Joaquin Phoenix. That's fascinating. God damn. We live in a society. He's got a real smolder about him. Yeah. Yeah, he really does. Smoldering a little too hard. Um, okay, so real quick, before we get into any of the, um, whatever reviews you've found, Mm -hmm. um, do you want to know how much money this movie made? Yes. Okay, let's start with the budget, which was $35 million. Okay. What do you think the box office was? $24 million. You have doubled what it actually made. God. Which was... 11.5 11.5 million dollars whoops we uh which is you know it i i didn't see a lot of advertising for it yeah no i did not know this existed until i googled weird movies and i think i might have seen it had i known it was that's that's a lie i actually don't go to movie theaters anymore because it's not worth the covid risk yeah like i have no interest in getting covid again and <clears throat> movie theaters are a great place to do that yeah the last movie I went to see was like a 10 p.m. showing of a Korean language drama film <laughs> that was showing at um, the Lightbox Theater where they do TIFF. And um, it was good, don't get me wrong. I loved that movie. I did not buy popcorn or a drink and sat there with an N95 mask on the entire time. I'm trying to. There th- were like six other people in the theater. I'm trying to think of what the last movie I saw in theaters was, and... I just, I couldn't leave it with my last movie being seen in theaters as having been um, episode nine, because I just didn't want that to haunt me for the rest of my life, so we went to see an obscure Korean film. Yeah, I think my last movie might actually have been episode eight. Episode 8 I could live with. Yeah. It's just episode 9. Bad. Mm-hmm. Don't. Yeah, that sucks. I'm so sorry. Uh, okay. Yeah, do you want so some reviews? Here's the thing. Oh. Um, I do want to give the movie a bit of... It was only in 2,000 theaters nationwide. Okay. And it left theaters pretty quickly. I mean, like... I don't imagine they, like, were expecting this one to do well. No, but, like, you know, you can't open a film in four theaters. Yeah. 
Here's the thing. I think this is one of those movies where you open it, you let the hype build after it's left theaters, and then you put it back in theaters to build Oscar buzz. Okay. Do you think they'll do that? Or... Uh, no, because no. there's a strike. True. That might also be part of why there was very limited advertising and like word of mouth yeah, for it because true. none of the actors were doing promo for it because of the strike. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you want some? You want some reviews? Please. Okay. Adam Cray gives this one star and titles the review. Adam was afraid that it would never end, <laughs> and it reads: "I was a fan of his other movies, so I'd hoped this would be good." That being said, I watched two hours and 45 minutes of this movie and did not finish it. My dude, you were so close. You were so <laughs> close. No. <laughs> it is a two hour and 58 minute movie and you made it to two hours and 45. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. I was hoping that there would be some grand happening that pulled everything in this movie together and somehow made it good. I hoped and waited for it, even rewinding, to make sure I didn't miss anything when I had when I had lost interest. And at two hours and 45 minutes, I decided there was nothing that could happen to make finishing this fuck show of a movie worth any more of my time. Oh, but he missed the whole trial. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Uh, Mr. Chris gives us one star and titles the review, A Crash Course in Too Much Creative Freedom. And it reads, Do you enjoy having a stranger explain their nightmare second by second in vivid detail for three whole hours with no discernible point or reason for any of it? Then man, are you going to love this movie. Don't let people convince you that you just didn't get it, because Ari Aster himself has said this movie has no point, he just wanted to make it. Even he went to the premiere on Hallucinogens to make it enjoyable. Stick to his first two films or even his shorts. If- I, I, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like maybe the mean uh, Amazon movie reviewer is not discerning enough. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, EFK gives it three stars. and t- Titles the review. Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? And it reads, spoiler, spoiler. Yes, the film is very well executed and the acting is excellent. The use of the term surreal as a descriptor is quite apt. I do not think the word horror should be associated with this in any way. Spoiler. I agree, other than zip, zap, zap. <laughs> you can so you can spend three hours watching this or you can break out the wall lp and give pink floyd's mother a listen for three minutes it's the same thing either way my interpretation of this film is that it's a very long and detailed reimagining of mother period i mean it's that's not necessarily incorrect <laughs> <laughs> ken fogelman gives us three stars and titles the review beyond bizarre and it reads, well, it's finally happened. After many years of trying, I have finally watched what was not only the most bizarre and absurd movie I've ever seen, but was in fact the most bizarre and absurd movie that has ever been made. Yes, you are thinking, mm. with all the millions of films on the shelf, there must be at least one more absurd and bizarre, but you would be wrong. This film is number one, number one, number one. It runs three hours, and I cannot tell you what it is about, because I have no fucking idea. If you ever have company that you want to be leaving your house, put on this movie. They'll leave. If you have an influx of mice in your living room, put on this movie. They'll die. If Armageddon arrives and you wish to die before your house collapses on you, put on this movie. You'll perish quickly. What film you say? Well, it stars Joaquin Phoenix and is titled Bo is Afraid. You have been warned. 
I think maybe the generation of men who grew up watching Cinema Sins <laughs> have forever been destroyed in such a way that they can never watch a film that isn't explicitly textual without wanting to kill themselves. Yeah. And I think maybe we should make every movie be subtextual so that those oh, guys are gone. Fuck, yeah, that's a good... Because s- that would improve the media landscape tremendously. Yeah, I think society in, sort of in general would be a lot better. Uh, <clears throat> people who Google movie explained, <laughs> like movie title, square brackets, movie title explained, I think those people we could deal with less of. Yeah. <clears throat> Reviews is my life 007. Gives this five stars. Okay. The title is a review. The first hour worth it, the rest terrible, but hear me out. And it reads, Dude, the first hour of this movie had me so excited there was still two hours. An hour later, I was praying it to end. This is like David Lynch material, you know? It's not quite David, but Dave is something. More than you can say about most movies today. Director is for sure taking chances when he could be comfortable. Anyone bringing that 70s attitude into this weak era of film will get all my popcorns and sodas. I will buy his next movie. I will watch this movie again, and I might change my mind. Regardless, we owe it to these artists actually taking chances to support them. Wait, do I love this movie? Orders poster. Wait, did I just order a Bo is Afraid poster? Wait, do I hate this movie? What's the return policy on this poster? Who knows? But I know it's something, and that is better than nothing. And I'm sure he is a nice guy. (laughs) You know, there's something to be said about the fact that, yeah, you should support movies that are weird and off-putting, that are taking risks and actually saying something, because so many movies aren't. Taco, would you leave my bra alone? (laughs) It's on the desk because I took it off because I'm sweating because I always sweat during recording. Yeah, same. And he's batting at it because he wants food because he doesn't like the food that Emma bought him. Taco, please. Just behave for 20 minutes, sweetie. We're (laughs) We're almost done. We're so close. We have two more reviews and they're quick ones. Okay. Rai gives us five stars and titles the review. Um... And it reads, Sometimes when I'm having a lot of crazy dreams, I look forward to going to sleep. In the same way, I need Ari Aster to continue making more movies. And then Amazon customer gives us five stars and titles it, I'm afraid. And I think this sums up possibly our feelings on this film too. Nothing can prepare you for this film. I am changed. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so are we at the point in the episode where we give our reviews? Are we, are we doing a sound, sounder, sounder don't sound? Yes. Okay. I give this movie a firm would sound. I would sound. I probably won't, but I would. I obtained a version of the movie through particular means, so it, I'll probably put it on the Jellyfin server and subject everyone in the polycule to it. Okay. Uh, like I'm I'm I am curious but like I I don't know that I have that kind of time in my life. <laughs> That's fair. It is 3 hours. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe if I really want to torture Hannah. Like I feel like it's the sort of thing you put on and then also do something else during it. Yeah. You could probably get away with that. It's not one that I would want to watch high. God, can you imagine watching this on hallucinogens? Even if you had made it I hmm. in public at a movie premiere, that's got to be an experience. Yeah, I don't like being high in public. <laughs> yeah. 
when I'm not at a movie premiere, like, (laughs) there are very limited times where being high in public is a good feeling, and you have to be, like, very lightly high during the summer in a really nice park sitting on the grass, and then it feels great. But, like, you know, if you're truly blitzed... Yeah. I don't want to be going anywhere. I don't... I pre-shop for my high snacks so that I don't have to go to the store to buy (laughs) snacks while high. Uh, One time I got a uh, THC-infused tea, and I drank that tea, and I started to feel the effects of the tea while we were shopping for new phones. Okay, I have a really important question. Was it called THC? Um, I don't remember. (sighs) I bought it at a weed store called Cafe, where the front of the store is an actual, like, cafe where you can get coffee Uh and tea and stuff like that, and the back is a weed dispensary, a gray market weed dispensary. So you're not getting all of the Ontario government bullshit which is you like th- there's very specific rules about edibles where like they're a very expensive and b very low dosage. Mm-hmm. So you go to the gray market place and you get stuff with like you get like twenty milligram edibles and it's actually livable. <laughs> me, um, me sitting here like I I have to take less than one quarter of a ten milligram edible or I will die. But- <laughs> Okay, you know, that's fair. (laughs) Um, That's fair. (laughs) Okay, I... Do we have anything else we want to talk about? Because I need to take a nap before I go out for Nuit Blanche because I'm meeting friends at 7.30 and that means I need to figure out how long it's going to take me to get to the place where we're meeting. Okay, we're done. Okay, thanks for listening. We sure didn't. Goodbye. Bye. And remember, don't come or you'll die. Yeah, and also, you've really got to work on increasing the size of those balls. Just cultivate mass. <laughs> this summer we are bulking up. Bulking up. <laughs> I'm stopping my record now. That's fair. Unsound Theories is made by Danger Square Productions. You can follow us on Tumblr at Danger Square Media or follow Kat and Kira on their respective Tumblrs at ZaftiCat, that's Z A F T I K A T and sapphire-mess. The best ways to support what we do are leaving five-star reviews on the podcatcher of your choice or telling a friend about the show. If you'd like to support us monetarily to help us keep the lights on, you can visit dangersquare.ca where you'll find links to our Patreon. The music used in this episode is Dance on All the Cell Phones by Chris Postel of Sounds Like an Earful. Visit soundslikeanearful.com to hear more of Chris's tracks. Until next time... Thanks for listening, because we sure didn't. <laughs>